Welcome to the discussion, Combating Healthcare Data Breaches with Intelligence, sponsored by Recorded Future on Federal News Network. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Stu Solomon, the Chief Strategy and Corporate Development Officer at Recorded Future. Stu, there's lots to talk about here, but just to get started, I want to get your sense of you know where we are present day with where the federal government and industry are in mitigating cyber threats in health IT. Well, that's a pretty broad topic, but a terrific place to start. I, th- I think as you contemplate the threat environment as it pertains to medical and IT and the threats that uh, that proliferate that take care that uh, target them, the reality is it's not just unique to the, um, the the medical and device environment, but really to the threats that all enterprises face day in and day out in their defensive postures in the first place. Malicious actors tend to use techniques that work and they tend to look for the lowest barrier of entry to be able to use the technique that has the least amount of unique tradecraft associated with it to be able to create the broadest impact possible. So when you look at the defensive posture of a normal enterprise in their IT environment or you look at a subsegment of that environment such as medical devices within a infrastructure that supports the data, the devices, the machines or the content that supports clinical or pharmaceutical or healthcare needs, the reality is a lot of the attack vectors are very similar in nature and therefore understanding and learning from those attacks that make the greatest impact and then looking at how that potential impact can um, can affect your defensive posture is really the broader question that needs to be answered. Mm-hmm. And we'll drill into this in more detail down the line, but yeah. you said techniques that work. Give me a big picture look at what those those threats look like from an industry and an agency perspective. Yeah, certainly. So I think there are probably three big categories of attack vectors that create impacts that we should probably con- consider as we go through the conversation. The first one, kind of the one that's in the news all the time, this notion of ransomware. Well, what is ransomware? Ransomware is usually an attack pattern that takes advantage of a vulnerability in a uh, enterprise defensive posture or in a infrastructure to be able to to lock up the environment and ultimately do one of two things: create a scenario that you would sell um, some some compromised data from, and or to be able to create an economic impact to an operational impact to the uh, attacked surface, which would allow you to ultimately gain some ill-gotten gains from an economic perspective by the bad actors. So that's number one, those guys that are monetarily um, influenced in the first place or motivated. The second one would be to be able to get information, information either about clinical studies, whether it's about uh, the personal identifiable information of the individuals whose records are being kept, or it may be about strategies or techniques to be able to further economic interest at the macro level or strategic level of the uh, bad actors involved. And the third one would be to be able to gain a foothold into a um, into a targeted environment for further exploitation later on. And if you think about those three categories, uh, the first around um, monetary impacts, the second around data or knowledge impacts, and the third around getting a uh, foothold for onward exploitation. Mm-hmm. So it really gives a good overview of kind of the threat landscape. But a pretty broad question here, Stu, but why is health IT such a popular target for these kinds of cyber attacks, for these breaches, what have you? Well, I think there are probably two main reasons why. The first one is relatively straightforward. There's a lot of very valuable things that that can be accomplished, whether it is 
getting large or vast sums of knowledge or data or whether it's speeding up the cycle of innovation. Um, there's just a lot of information that's of high value sitting at these targeted sites. And then the second component is that uh, traditionally uh, security postures around this information tends to be a little bit uh, more nascent than in more hardened targets such as financial institutions or government institutions. And the reason behind that is relatively straightforward. They're in a digital transformation today, moving very rapidly to keep pace with the rest of society's desires and needs from paper-based scenarios and um, unconnected medical devices and techniques and moving into scenarios whereby the digital transformation of their operations themselves necessitate a completely different view into the attack surface. So challenges as well as opportunities there. Well, give me a better sense of, of what the value is of taking uh, a threat intelligence approach to health IT. Uh, how is that beneficial for both the public and the private sector uh, side of things here? Sure. So it, it starts with the very notion of why is threat intelligence important? Threat intelligence helps you do a few things. Number one, it helps you to learn uh, a little bit more from an outside-in view of the way that malicious actors tend to act, the tools that they use, and the techniques that they find to be the most effective. By understanding the intent and the tools that are used by the malicious actors, you can tune your defensive posture much more effectively by anticipating what their actions may look like and what they might do, as well as uh, putting a, a primary focus on being able to uh, to tune your environment in such a way that you can actually begin to detect potential malicious action and therefore mitigate it earlier on in its life cycle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly a lot of value there. But um, as far as early steps, what are, some of the, what, is, what are some of the first steps that agencies and industry can and should take standing up a, a cyber threat intelligence platform? I think the first step is to really understand, A, your environment itself. What, where are your critical assets? What are your critical data stores? What are the key things that you need to understand and know about to protect your critic, the, the critical aspects of your operations or of the things that you've been entrusted with? So number one, it's always having an inside view of criticality. And then you take into account the external view of what are those limited actors, techniques, or tools that can create an impact that you would not find acceptable within those things that you find most critical in the first place. So you have to marry your understanding of what's important with an external view of what could create an impact that you would not find acceptable or that you would not be able to reduce to an acceptable level of residual risk. Mm-hmm. And looking at where we are currently, again, um, how would you assess where the federal government is with its partnership in the pri- with, the, with the private sector in, in sharing this kind of cyber threat intelligence with one another? I think the uh, government continues to be very mature in driving this down using the ISAC model in particular. So when you look at the national healthcare ISAC or you look at um, efforts along um, infrastructure from an IoT or an ICS CERT perspective, there are a number of different scenarios that uh, push down through the ISAC model and through the public-private sharing models set up across the critical infrastructure protection programs that allow for the identification and bidirectional transfer of knowledge from public to private or private to public, always augmented with uh, third-party understanding of malicious actors and of criticality. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, as a follow-up to that, how can agencies strike a balance with the private sector in sharing this information? Because we, we have seen ISACs kind of stress that this is a, a concern for them, that they want to make sure that one another isn't giving too much away as far as sources and methods and things like that, but at the same time giving them real-time information that they can use to shore up their vulnerabilities. 
Yeah, there, there's an interesting set of dynamics there at play. There's the obvious notion of potentially exposing competitors and or adversaries to vulnerabilities that may or may not create an advantage in their desired outcomes, balanced with the idea of a collective good. And that collective good is clearly understood in, in a more connected world that we all live in, whereby it's uh, very similar to the notion within banking around counterparty scenarios. So as one domino falls, multiple dominoes fall as a result because uh, so many interests really rely on other interests being accomplished and having a secure transaction between them. Very similar scenario here. So there's always that balancing act and trying to look for that perfect point where you can share information without giving too much away and share information in such a way that others can benefit from the knowledge of it without necessarily um, degrading your business interest or your security posture. I'm your moderator, Jory Heckman, on the discussion Combating Healthcare Data Breaches with Intelligence, sponsored by Recorded Future on Federal News Network. Identifying and remediating rapidly evolving cyber threats originating from hacktivists, nation states, or cyber criminals is a time-consuming manual research process. Stay ahead of your attackers with Recorded Future. Recorded Future automates the collection and analysis of threat intelligence and delivers real-time, actionable insights to agencies, driving 63% faster resolution of threats. Find out how at recordedfuture.com slash public sector. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Stu Solomon, the Chief Strategy and Corporate Development Officer at Recorded Future. And Stu, you know, we kind of preempted this a little bit in the first bit of our conversation, but I want to get into more detail with um, the challenges and the opportunities with um, more digital records, electronic health records. Certainly, it seems from an agency and an industry standpoint, there's some efficiencies to be gained there, but let's focus, let's touch on that a little bit, but then focus more on the challenges that that also raises. So I think as the proliferation of this movement from paper to digital records uh, continues, it does a couple of things. Among them, it's obviously to respond to the desired access, both from a timing perspective as well as from a content perspective that end users want and need. Uh, malicious cyber actors, however, look at that as just a wonderful target of opportunity. There's aggregation of lots of information in one place, relatively straightforward on how to get at it. And uh, secondly, as you get access to those aggregated stores of data, there's a an accelerated opportunity to be able to either manipulate or to block access to or to monetize ill-gotten gains from the uh, exposure of that information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as far as risks and exposures, you know, one of the things that we've seen as kind of an emerging trend, I guess, is things like ransomware, especially for these you know, hospital systems and for these large stores of, of records that – they, they have, they're in a position of leverage to, to get that ransom for this very important data. And so um, what solutions are you seeing to a thing, to an emerging threat like ransomware? Yeah, r- ransomware is a, a rather contemporary threat that uh, continues to be a scourge not just to, uh, to medical institutions that have these digital records or to pharmaceutical companies that have the same or agencies that support them. But it's a scourge that really uh, takes advantage of common vulnerabilities and or normal scenarios within any enterprise IT network that requires some kind of security posture. So this environment is not uniquely being targeted to them, although they're certainly more susceptible than others because of um, a number of different foundational concepts. And it starts and stops with this notion of helping 
end users in an environment that have legitimate access to data and to systems be able to recognize infiltration methods used by malicious actors to introduce this malware into their environment in the first place. Number two, it's, it's really important to kind of keep an eye out not just for potentially anomalous activity that would be a deviation from the baseline of what you expect to see, phishing emails as an example that clearly stand out as anomalous or coming from the wrong kinds of sources or containing the wrong kinds of information. But then the second thing is if they – if a phishing email were able to get through the basic human defenses associated with an environment, how do they actually pass through your email and into the end, end user's hands in the first place? And then number two, if, if, it does, if it does happen to do that, what does an end user do if they can recognize it or not? If they don't recognize it and potentially introduce malware into the environment unwittingly, is that malware able to take effect in the environment that's the second. Now, the third component is if it does, in fact, take um, effect inside of a network, how susceptible is, are the data stores within the network to being locked out or blocked, blocked out? Do you have the ability to rapidly recover or to roll back to a last known good environment? Do you have the ability to unlock data stores from recovery environments to be able to very quickly mitigate? Or do you have the ability to stop an infection from spreading across multiple components of your network? as quickly as possible, of course, upon identification. All of these scenarios help environments to be able to recover quickly and to be able to mitigate the potential risks associated. Obviously, very robust response to that. But, you know, what what I hear from all of that is that still it's phishing attempts that are the number one thing to keep an eye out for, the, the most basic security threat, but still the most prevalent, it seems. It's just one part of an insider threat strategy that agencies and industry should have on this. And so um, my question for you, Stu, is, is what steps agencies and industry can take to mitigate these insider threats? Well, I think that's a terrific way to frame the question, to, and it's really twofold. One, look at this as an insider threat scenario. And an insider threat can be either malicious or unintentional. In this case, what we're really focused on is the unintentional user who inadvertently or unintentionally is exploited by malicious actors in the first place through social engineering and phishing techniques. The second part of that is exactly as you've described. It really does boil down to that last mile, or in this case, I guess you could even say the first mile, which is the user who is tricked into or in some way coaxed into introducing the malware into the environment in an unwitting fashion. Phishing techniques are as old as time in the security industry, but guess what? Malicious actors will do what works, and they'll follow the path of least resistance to be able to uh, create the impact that they want. Phishing is a time-honored tradition that, uh, that really hasn't changed and will not continue to un- until end users become well-educated and defensive postures allow for mitigating that very basic technique. All right, well, we'll leave it there. My guest today is Stu Solomon, the Chief Strategy and Corporate Development Officer at Recorded Futures. I'm your moderator, Jory Heckman, on the discussion Combating Healthcare Data Breaches with Intelligence, sponsored by Recorded Future on Federal News Network. Identifying and remediating rapidly evolving cyber threats originating from hacktivists, nation states, or cyber criminals is a time-consuming manual research process. Stay ahead of your attackers with Recorded Future. Recorded Future automates the collection and analysis of threat intelligence and delivers real-time, actionable insights to agencies, driving 63% faster resolution of threats.
Find out how at recordedfuture.com slash public sector. Welcome back to the discussion, Combating Healthcare Data Breaches with Intelligence, sponsored by Recorded Future on Federal News Network. My guest today is Stu Solomon, Chief Strategy and Corporate Development Officer at Recorded Future. I'm your moderator, Jory Heckman. All right, Stu, so what I really want to get your thoughts on now is the idea of the cybersecurity for medical devices, especially given the rise of IoT, Internet of Things, Again, this idea of opportunities, certainly of, of greater connectivity and a faster share of data, but also I imagine that increases the threat landscape as well. It does indeed. Uh, you know, it's interesting because when you talk about the IoT components and medical devices in particular, it becomes very scary very quickly because it's personal. These are things that are touching our bodies. These are things that are dealing with our healthcare needs. And so there's a lot of passion that's elicited immediately when thinking about these kinds of threats. However, the the opportunity lies in treating them in a very normal fashion, the way that any security professional would any other aspect of their network and their overall attack surface. And it starts with the really basic understanding of identifying what you have in the first place, going through the environment and identifying the individual devices, number one. Number two, then understanding what is on those devices. What kind of software are they running? What kind of firmware do they have? Do they have basic vulnerabilities such as hard-coded passwords or um, out-of-date patching that's occurred? Then the third component of that is understanding how they actually behave on the network itself. How, what, what does a normal baseline of activity look like when one device talks to another device? What kind of data should flow from one device to another device? What kind of data is exposed when devices uh, interact with databases? And just understanding what basic behavior looks like from a network and communication perspective. You then take those, as, th- those aspects, and now you have to look at the, the potential impact that could be created if any of those assets that you now have clear visibility on were to be compromised in some way. And then you have to model that against the potential for remote exploitation or things outside of your network environment being able to get access to and be able to manipulate those devices. And then ultimately, how effective are your monitoring and your controls to be able to mitigate those impacts? You know, I guess another part of this conversation is really the idea of identity management, not just what is baked into the device, but, you know, where it's beaming that data to. And so, you know, the question that I have for you, Stu, is, is do you see something needed to be done on that end, the identity management? And do you see, whether it's industry or or the federal government, do you see them moving more towards a, of a zero trust model of this kind of, uh, you know, different tiers to, to permissions of accessing data? Absolutely. And when you, when you break down that question, it's very similar to what we were just discussing a moment ago, is that these are scenarios that aren't just unique to the IoT or medical device world, but really just good security practices in the first place. The first being a clear understanding of authentication to understand who should have access, how that access should occur, and being able to log and monitor access rights that are given. Uh, elevated privileges that exist, and then what people do or what machines do when that authenticated connection is made in the first place. Again, so that you can always look for and identify either a baseline of normalcy and deviations from that baseline and or an understanding where escalations can create unnecessary exposure because privileges haven't been managed effectively. And when you look at that, that's not just unique to the IoT space. That's that's ubiquitous across good security hygiene. Mm-hmm. And since I did bring up the other part of this, that what is baked into the device, um, Stu, I want to get your thoughts more on 
the idea of supply chain risk management, the idea of that communication between industry and government of, of ensuring that there aren't inherent vulnerabilities in these things as they come out of the assembly line. How are things going there? Yeah, I, th- I think it starts with this notion of security by design, and it ultimately is the initial responsibility of the designers of the software and the hardware themselves to be able to create a product, test a product, and field a product that is secured from the mindset of the developer in the first place. And then as they're implemented inside of an enterprise environment, that's when the security architecture takes over to begin to put additional layers of control on a product that is by design secure in the first place. That expectation and that communication down at the manufacturing level continues to gain momentum and obviously is the clear responsibility that needs to be shared between the two entities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of the the baseline. That's the ground zero of these things. But um, later down the line in the life cycle of these products, um, give me more of your thoughts on how things are currently with the idea of continuously patching, recognizing vulnerabilities as they happen, and then kind of that handoff between you know, I, on the on the software side, if there's vulnerabilities, what customers can do to quickly remediate that before that becomes an exploit for a malicious uh, actor. So there, there are a couple of scenarios there, and, and certainly, as you look at products that work, tend to not want to have operational disruptions into their application. So even if it's on an older operating system, one that may be inherently vulnerable. Uh, or one that's known to have been exploited historically over time, quite often there's a balancing act that occurs between the people that use those products in the field and the desire to have a potential disruption to their normal operations because why risk breaking something that works? This is very common across the IoT and the medical device space uh, because of that very notion of not wanting to have an operational or business disruption. You have to balance that with inside of an enterprise, understanding what you have in the first place and understanding what software is running, what operating systems are in play, and an active patch management process. Again, hearkening back to a a core concept, while we're talking about medical devices and we're talking about IoT scenarios, the reality is this is just basic security hygiene that needs to be applied to another problem segment that historically uh, IT and security professionals have not spent a ton of focus on because they didn't necessarily have a clear understanding of all the assets and configurations in their environments. As that knowledge and as that awareness increases, so does the responsibility, but also the opportunity to be able to apply tried and true security techniques to be able to create a baseline that's more acceptable. So it really does come down to, it seems, pretty basic good housekeeping, things like inventorying that software, things like mitigating, um, as we said before, uh, with the the phishing emails just being being on a, a firm baseline with those things. That, that's right. It really does boil down to blocking and tackling and good hygiene. And then it also, um, it, it, it does also require a clear understanding of the threat environment and of asset criticality. When you marry those things together and build models or threat models that help you understand how a potential impact by a potential malicious actor from the outside using techniques that they're known to use to create an impact that you don't find acceptable you have to be able to marry that back with what you know your exposure to be and then create a posture of residual risk based on the implementation of tools and controls that you find acceptable. Basic security blocking and tackling. All right. Well, uh, that's all the time we have today. I'd like to thank today's guest, Stu Solomon, the Chief Strategy and Corporate Development Officer at Recorded Future. I'm your moderator, Jory Heckman, and you're listening to Federal News Network. 
For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Recorded Future. Thank you for listening to the discussion Combating Healthcare Data Breaches with Intelligence, sponsored by Recorded Future on Federal News Network.